You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Rated PG-13. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hey, everybody. It's Doug Robertson of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution with another edition of the Southern Fight Soccer podcast. It is August 30th, 2021. I hope that uh, if you're listening in New Orleans that you're safe. Um, I hope everyone here in Georgia or who are listening to the podcast who are Atlanta United supporters are safe and their families are safe. Um, Y'all sent me a lot of excellent questions for the podcast after the 2-0 loss to Nashville, and I'm going to get to those in just a minute. Um, As always, you can find me on Twitter at Doug Robertson AJC and on Facebook at Atlanta United News Now. For those who are new to the team or, or new to me, I've been covering it longer than covering the team longer than anybody uh, in Atlanta uh, since probably 2012 when the announcement, I think it was 2012 when the announcement or the news broke that Atlanta United was a leading contender to the franchise announcement in 2014 to training camps, uh, away games, etc. Um, so I appreciate y'all listening to me and, and trusting what I'm telling you. And uh, let's get into a recap of Saturday. Playing its first game under new manager Gonzalo Pineda, Atlanta United's four-game win streak ended with a loss to Nashville on Saturday at Mercedes-Benz Stadium. Despite fielding its strongest attacking lineup, uh, the team struggled to break down a very, very stout Nashville defense. Uh, The team didn't put a shot on goal during live play until around, I think it was the 55th minute by Luis Araujo. Um, it did previously put a shot on goal, but it was from a free kick. It was like in the opening five minutes. So that wasn't a good sign. Um, the team finished with just two shots on goal, tying a season low set four previous times. The team was shut out for the first time in seven games and for the seventh time this season. The team, which is now 6-7-9, and nine, has taken only 15 of a possible 30 points from its home games. There's a FIFA break this week for World Cup qualifiers, which Miles Robinson and George Bello will be in for the United States, and Joseph Martinez and Ronald Hernandez will be in for Venezuela. And then the team will return to host Orlando on September the 10th uh, in what is a huge, huge game. Uh, A couple of key moments in the game. Nashville's goals uh, were scored in the 47th minute by Daniel Rios. He got away from uh, Alan Franco enough to one-time a shot after a nice pass from Daniel Lovitz, who had gotten away from Anton Walks. Um, That was in the 47th minute. beat Brad Guzan to his near post. It was a low, hard shot. 
uh, from a, a really interesting angle. Uh, he could have gone to the lower left corner. He could have gone to the lower right corner. So Guzan was trying to cover as much as he could. Um, I don't think Guzan deserves any blame for that goal. Um, and then the second goal came in the 95th minute after Brad Guzan had come up on a corner kick as Atlanta United was trailing one to nothing and trying to find that tying goal. And Joe Willis hit a long pass out to Ray DeLiel who uh, hit like a 50-yard shot. Um, it trickled into the goal, but at that point it didn't really matter. Uh, final stats, Nashville had 16 shots to Atlanta United's 10, five on goal to Atlanta United's two. Um, Atlanta United dominated possession, but again, it doesn't matter if you're not taking shots. Atlanta United only created seven chances. Marcelino Moreno led with four. Joseph Martinez with two. Alan Franco with one. Nashville created a ton of chances. Two, four, six, seven, eight, twelve chances led by CJ Sapong's four. Um, so that's kind of the summary of that game. Uh, Pineda, you know, was, was very quotable after very honest and earnest in his answers, which is very much appreciated. Uh, following in the mold of Valentino and DeBoer and uh, Tata uh, and Stephen Glass uh, in their times leading the club. Um, of Atlanta United's full-time managers, only one has won their very first game, and that was Heinze. So Pineda is in company in that regard. Uh, among all managers, including interim, uh, only two, Heinze and Stephen Glass, have won their open their first games uh, with the club. So with the loss, Atlanta United stays three points back of a playoff berth. Uh, they dropped to, I think, ninth place, but let's look at the standings here really fast. Yeah, they're in ninth place, three points behind D.C., four points behind Montreal. So they've still got some work to do. Now, before we get to your questions, I'm going to take a quick coffee sip. Uh, good stuff. And as always, you can find me on Twitter at Doug Robertson AJC, on Facebook at Atlanta United News Now, and on Instagram at Douglas David Robertson. And the reason this podcast is coming out on Monday instead of yesterday, because I typically do them the day after the game, is because my daughter turned 19 on Saturday, and I was working. So on Sunday, some of us in the family uh, drove over to Milledgeville uh, to see her in college and to celebrate her birthday. So that took up most of the day, so I decided I would just post the podcast today. And it's an off week. I don't think we're going to have any availability for Atlanta United. So this is some content for you all during what should be a pretty quiet week. And, of course, I say that and everything's going to blow up. So on to your questions. Ben asks, what's your one-week impression of Pineda? I don't think you were the biggest fans of Heinze on a personal level. How has Pineda been different in your interactions thus far? Uh, Pineda seems like a, a very nice man, um, seems like a very passionate man for soccer and passion and in a positive way. Uh, he tries to answer your questions. He listens to your questions. He thinks about your questions. Uh, he writes down, I think, at least the topic of the question. He was writing things down again in the post-game interview. And he gives long, expansive answers, uh, which is, you know, you would say that that should be considered the bare minimum for coaches, but it's a lot more than the bare minimum, and it's appreciated. Uh, so, Pineda, if you're listening to this or someone is listening to this in Atlanta United's office, 
Thank you to Pineda. Um, it's very much appreciated. Uh, Ben's next question is the benefit of switching to a 433. Uh, it's actually a 4231, according to Pineda, uh, is that it could more efficiently fit our four attacking players. However, one center back would have to be sacrificed in order to change from a three back to a four back. Do you think Pineda has the guts to bench one of the center backs? Yes, I do, because he already did. Uh, who should he sit based on current form, or do you have any insight on a possible injury for Franco? I don't think there was an injury for Franco. Um, I think that he just liked Anton uh, passing uh, and Robinson's passing a little bit better, and they're probably uh, better aerial threats on set pieces. They're a little bit taller than Franco. Um, the 4-2-3-1 is actually the formation that I thought Atlanta United would go to under Valentino when they signed Araujo. Uh, because it enables them to get Marino, uh, once again, centrally as an attacking midfielder, Barco on the left, Arajo on the right, and Joseph as a striker. But they're kind of, they've run out of defensive midfielder. So I think they stuck with this formation again, the, the five in the back with one defensive midfielder and Marcel, Marcelino Marino kind of playing a pseudo hybrid role, defensive midfielder, attacking midfielder. Uh, again, it gets Nashville, but the central part of the midfield got exposed a little bit in that regard because Nashville is a very tactically disciplined team under Gary Smith, who's done a fantastic job with that club. Um, so, and who should sit on current form? I think it would just depend upon um, the other team's formation and, and their striker and the skills. I could see Miles Robinson is going to start every game, but it'll be a down between Alan Franco and Anton Walks. It's just going to depend upon what the other team does well. Um, and once the team starts getting players back and healthy, you could see Atlanta sticking with the five at the back. Um, bid continues. I kept saying that this formation, I call it a 3-1-6, <laughs> would get exposed by a better team. Could it be a blessing in disguise that we lost at home to Nashville in this manner? I don't know if it's ever a blessing to lose at home, but I understand the point of your question. We have two holding midfields in Sadich and Rosetto, pending Sosa status. Pineda needs to get the front four performing at a high level, and for me, the best way to do that is within a 4-3-3. Again, I think the 4-2-3-1 or 4-1-4-1 uh, would work better. Um, and, you know, Sadich... Sanich really isn't, to me, a holding midfielder. He's more of an attacking midfielder. Is that too? I'm still not quite sure what his strengths are. And I keep saying that. I know it sounds ugly, but it's just the truth. Um, so, yeah, I think the 4-2-3-1 or 4-1-4-1 works better. I've often also said I like the 3-5-2, but that was when Atlanta United had different personnel. Now, they spent a lot of money on this front four. They need to uh, let them get going. And I'll have some more thoughts in another question about that in just a second. Christian asks, the team is looking better, but we need a better roster in 22. What three overpriced or under, underperforming players are not coming back next season? Okay, this, this is my opinion only, based upon salary and, and production and performance. Those would be Jurgen Dom, Mateus Huzetu. I think they'll keep Emerson Hyman, but it would not, I would not be surprised if they don't try to trade him. Um, those are three of the five, or three of the, yeah, three of the five highest priced players on the team. We don't know what Arahu Joe's making yet. Uh, so as of right now, I think three of the highest 
paid players on the team, and that none of them. I think there's one goal and two assists out of them, and all of those are Heinemans this year. Um, so those would be uh, those would be my thoughts. Um, and then you know the Guzan question is hanging out there because he makes a lot of money. He's the highest paid goalkeeper in Major League Soccer. I don't think that Atlanta United's going to get rid of him or trade him in any way. Um, and I don't think he's going to retire. Um, I think he's still playing well. Um, but that that's the other kind of question mark. Is defensive midfield our biggest area of need? That's a really, really good question. Um, I don't think so. I think Sosa and Ibarra, and if they keep Adams because he's a low-priced alternative, I think they're set going into next year. So it's kind of like going into this year. I'm still I don't know quite what the team will need. It's going to need depth in central midfield. I know that it's going to need depth at wing, but the team has some homegrowns coming up that could take care of that. Do you have any strong academy players who could break through in 2022 or 23? So the problem. This is another great question, but the problem with this question is we don't know the, what the roster is going to be because you look at the front four. Joseph isn't going anywhere. Barco could be going, but Almeida might be here. Um, you got Arajo, got Moreno, Tyler Wolf is an attacking midfielder, Machal Chol is a winger, uh, you know, Jackson Conway is a striker. It's it's really just too early to tell, I think, on Academy players that could break through. Switching now to a new question asker, Steve. First, thank you for all your great coverage of Atlanta United. You are stellar. Well, I'm blushing. You can't see my face, but I'm blushing. Uh, I've noticed a change in Atlanta United's media output via YouTube since Heinze was ousted and through the Valentino month. Uh, that's pretty funny. I'm interested to know, was that a specific strategy from the team to re-engage the supporters? And has the media's access changed with the transition? I don't know if it was a specific strategy uh, other than uh, Valentino doesn't didn't mind the team's social media people being out there and, and taping and filming stuff, and Heinze very much minded it. Um, so there's your big difference right there. Uh, if you're allowed to do it, you're going to see more uh, stuff. And Heinze just did not care one bit about any of that. And not only did he not care, he didn't want it. So I guess not care is not the correct phrasing. Uh, but there you go. Um, and has the media's access changed with the transition? Well, it's not a coincidence that Valentino's first practice was the first one all season we were allowed to watch um, the first 15 minutes of. Uh, we were never allowed to do that under Heinz. Part of that was because of COVID, and part of that was because after even that was kind of solved, he did not want that. Um, so there you go. And then we got to watch the first 30, or not the first 30 minutes, but 30 minutes under Pineda, which uh, we haven't gotten to watch that much. Uh, well since probably I was at training camp uh, with them uh, at the beginning of the 2020 season, and they would let me watch uh, all the training uh, because they knew that I know what I can report and what I can't report, um, you know, based upon agreements made for that access. Um, so anyway, that was pretty cool. We asked Panetta or asked Panetta <clears throat> after the session if this is going to be a frequent thing, and he pointed to the comms team. So <laughs> we'll see if we get to do that again. This is a different Steve. 
is Jurgen Dom going to move beyond being a late sub this season? That would be a negatory. Uh, he's not going to replace Arajo, who plays on the right, and he's not going to replace Marco, who plays on the left, unless there's an injury or something odd. What are our options for him at the end of the season? Well, it's going to depend upon his contract. I wouldn't be surprised if there's like a, a mutual option on the contract that can be exercised either by the team or, or down, but they cannot bring him back at that salary when he's simply not playing and when he's playing, not producing. Um, he seems to be one of our biggest busts. I don't know if it's fair to call him a bust because I don't know how much was expected of him. In Mexico, he was known for speed and that was really about it. He was barely playing for his club teams in Mexico. Um, because for all that speed, he's just not a finished product. He's a very nice guy. And I always enjoy talking to him. And you can see that he has skill, but he just can't seem to get that skill to end up producing anything. Um, when Mulraney gets healthy, will he have much of a role beyond being a late sub as well? Perhaps a spot start for both of them because there's another week of comp- – there's two more times where they have compressed games. But now I don't see Mulraney being anything other than a uh, spot sub either because of the team's attacking talent going forward. Coffee set. Gotta love a cup of joe. Alright, David asks, this is an intriguing question. I've tried to find an answer, but I don't have it just yet. Um, David says, looking at the PRO situation, this professional referees organization, from the last few weeks around the league's fixture list and assignments, they've gotten in the bad habit of putting central refs with little experience on matches with also an either inexperienced fourth official or VAR official, i.e. Orlando last week and Atlanta this week. While there are other matches with central officials of triple-digit matches, and their fourth VAR are extremely experienced. Does anyone from PRO actually look at the assignments to make sure they have the best crews present, or just whatever name pops up on a computer? Uh, I don't know for a fact how the assignments are made, but it's more than just a computer. Uh, they have people thinking about this. They want good referees for the for the better games. Um, again, I've reached out to someone to ask. And referees take vacations too. It's a long season, so sometimes you're going to see an odd face or two uh, in a different spot that you're not used to because guys do uh, need to uh, you know get a break or they have a family thing going on that they can't miss because they have lives just like we do. Um, so there you go. And if I get an official answer, David, I'll email you. Uh, Bryant asks, what are our options for midfield? When will Abara be back? Uh, I'm trying to remember what Pineda said, but I think Abara is going to be back this week, as will Mulraney. Uh, if not this week, then next week, ahead of Orlando. Sosa, the team is hoping to find out something this week on Santiago Sosa as to how long he is going to be out. They just keep using the phrase lower body, and some of it is just the silly idea that it's going to give an opponent some sort of knowledge of the player when he returns, which I think is just a really, really overthinking things. I don't think if they know that the guy's got a hamstring issue that they're going to, they can do anything to try to affect his hamstring, uh, but what do I know? Um, Mo Adams, we've stopped asking about Mo Adams because he's played so little this year. Uh, but I haven't seen him out at training. So, uh, switching now to Chris. Do we think players who are leaving for World Cup qualifying will be on the pitch against Orlando City? I think Miles Robinson and George Bello could. 
looking at the dates and the logistics, I don't see how Joseph Martinez and Ronald Hernandez will be able to. Pineda didn't dismiss the idea that they'll be able to return. Um, but they play like one day before the Orlando game, I think is their final game. So I don't see how they're going to be able to be back in time, particularly if they play for Venezuela in that game. Um, going to Noah, I found it difficult this weekend to think of just one question for you when there were many problems with Saturday's game. I guess my question would be, where do we go from here? It was an embarrassing loss at home, and now we are even further away from a playoff spot. What needs to happen? Well, the team needs to shoot, and it needs to score. Um he continues, thanks, as always, for your amazing reporting. Have a great week. There are a couple of moments in the game when you're just sitting there thinking, okay, the guy's going to shoot. And instead, they did something trying to be cute, like a back heel or a dummy through their legs or a spin or something like that. Instead of just putting their laces through the ball, I think that Atlanta United was, and this is going to sound weird, trying to score the perfect goal under Pineda's first game in charge instead of just trying to score a goal. And this happened a few times in the game. They were just being too cute, overthinking things too much, instead of, as I said, just putting their laces through the ball and shooting. A couple other times they whiffed. Joseph Martinez, other than when he is actually shooting, his first touch is still just not quite there. It's going to be a bit before it comes back. Uh, first touch for a lot of the guys wasn't really there against Nashville for whatever reason. Um, there's still plenty of time for Atlanta United to get back in the playoffs. But And I tweeted this earlier uh, during Saturday's game because it's what I was thinking at the time. The past probably two and a half games, the team has gotten a lot more horizontal again than vertical as it was for a few games under Valentino when it started to resemble its old self. Um, a lot of you know the formations gotten compressed, um, just a lot of kind of sideways, aimless passes. Um, and, you know, possession without a purpose is not really an advantage. And that's kind of what it looked like for a while in the past two and a half games. Part of that was because of Nashville's formation. They would have 10 to 11 guys behind the ball, which takes away space. But even when Atlanta United had chances, sometimes they would pull it back instead of just attacking. You didn't really ever see that strong Barco run through the midfield, for example, with the ball. Um, and again, and this was a problem under Heinze, too. Atlanta United dominates possession, but the other team dominates shots. So they're making the most out of the ball when they get it, as opposed to Atlanta United, who is making, I don't want to say the least out of the ball, but not as much from the ball when they have it. Switching now to Connor. Is there a good chance of United losing Rob Valentino this offseason? To a club to take a head coaching job. Seems to be such a well-liked and respected guy around the organization. No, I don't think so. Rob talked about he's still got a lot of things he needs to learn. I think if I were another club, I might want to interview him if I like have a first assistance job. Um, I would imagine that Atlanta United has got to be grooming Valentino to either become an Atlanta United 2 manager to get more experience or depending upon how long Pineda's here, to take over for Pineda. Um, but I think he's got a bright future ahead of him. I, I think that he's just got a personality and an earnestness and an honestness that, that people trust, and that goes a long way when you're a manager. Eric says, have you heard of Pineda having any specific rules for the team? I haven't. I know he changed the schedule a little bit for them, but I don't know about any specific rules. I know that he wants the players to 
you know, act with great character. Um, he said that before uh, because that's a value of his. You wouldn't have to think you'd have to tell them that, but, you know, everybody's different. Uh, so, no, I, I don't know of any specific rules under Pineda, uh, but I appreciate you sending that question, Eric. Bob says, Guzan looks more like Ichabod Crane out there than a goalie. I think that's a bit harsh. He is off his, off his line often and has no range. At twice his range, I have better anticipation on a shot than he does, and I won't cost a cent. The results will be no different. Well, Bob, I guess you need to reach out to Darren Eels or Carlos and see if you can get signed. Um, but I think you'll find that position a little bit harder than you think. Nick says, I would be fascinated to know how you think the Eastern Conference is going to shake out from 1 to 14. 2 through 12 is all within 13 points, which leaves some fascinating potential outcomes. All right, Nick, let's go to the standings. New England is definitely going to finish first. They're 14 points ahead of Orlando. Uh, I think actually Nashville will finish second. No, I'm sorry. Let me let me rephrase that. NYCFC is going to finish second. Nashville third. Orlando fourth. Philadelphia fifth. Montreal sixth. Atlanta seventh. DC eighth. Columbus ninth. Miami tenth. Chicago eleventh. Cincinnati 12th, Red Bulls 13th, Toronto 14th. So I do have Atlanta United making the playoffs, but only as a 7th, which will not give them home field. Um, so that's going to be a little bit tough for them. Um, Adam says, is it me or were there a lot of overlaps by Atlanta's attackers predictable? Well, most overlaps are predictable. You see the guys running in. It's just a matter of, if the guy who has the ball thinks that the person in overlap has space. Uh, not to take away from a good defensive performance from Nashville, but it looked like the stripes attack was from the Heinze area, easy to cover and devoid of verve. I do agree with you on that. Um, yeah, we talked about that earlier. Right? It was a lot of horizontal passing, not a lot of movement, uh, so pretty easy to defend, particularly by a well-drilled team like Nashville. Uh, it feels like Atlanta is worst in the league in gaining position after 50-50 balls. Nashville seemingly always headed the ball to a player, whereas Atlanta is just heading it wherever. Well, let's look at the stats, and let's look at duels won here by Atlanta United. Uh, Nashville won 54% of the duels. Part of that was because Atlanta United kept pumping crosses into the penalty box, where uh, Nashville had the taller defender, so they were going to win a lot of those. Um but Atlanta United typically wins more of the duels in the game. I don't have the stat in front of me, but I remember just, you know, it's something I look at um, after each game because of Frank DeBoer's focus on winning the duels, as he would say, or duels. Um, and it is a big part of soccer. The team that wins that first ball typically wins the second ball and can go on uh, because you can't score if you don't have the ball. So there you go. Last thing, true or false, first touches for Atlanta were abysmal tonight and cost them some good attacking buildups. I don't know if I would say they were abysmal, but there were times they were not good. Uh, and, yes, it did cost them some good attacking buildups. That's a good observation uh, by you, Adam. And then lastly, it's not a haiku. It's kind of a poem, and it's by Ricks. Ball in and around the box umpteen times, three shots on goal, four toward or in neighborhood of goal, one key loss cover on man and defensive third. Nashville stingy but beatable enough to make you scream. So that was Rick's emotional result uh, from Saturday's 2-0 loss.
by Atlanta United to Nashville. Um, again, not going to have a lot of copy this week. That wraps up the mailbag. Not going to have a lot of copy this week because there's not a lot of availability. I am going to have something on a new business venture started by Michael Parkhurst and Greg Garza. I'm going to finish writing that uh, this morning. Uh, it's a mentoring program um, for young players and or parents just to try to help them navigate uh, what can be a very difficult soccer landscape out there. Um, and not even – but just serve as a mentor – uh, just to talk about, they could talk about stuff that happened within a game. If you could send the video, just decisions as to things upcoming, college, pro, contract, academy, travel squad, uh, how to get along with a coach, how to better get along with a coach you already get along with, just all those things. That's stuff they did for free during their playing careers, but now that they're retired, uh, they believe they can help people and they deserve to make some money off of it. So I hope you'll look for that story coming up. And then I'll probably have a couple of blogs to kind of looking ahead at the remainder of the season, players that need to step up, uh, you know, things like that. So I hope you'll look for those. And then I am headed out of town probably Thursday to go to Charlotte to see some college friends and play some golf and possibly drink some beer. Uh, it's something they've been doing for a long time that uh, I have not been able to do because Labor Day is typically either high school football or college football or my old job or uh, college football, or golf, or soccer in this job. And so one of these guys I've seen quite often, one guy I've seen once in the past 15 years, and he was probably my best friend. A couple of the other guys I haven't seen in 20-something years, and they were good friends. We were all in the same fraternity uh, at Oglethorpe uh, before I, I left to go to Georgia. Um, so Howard and Brett and Rodney and Dennis and Robert, uh, I'm looking forward to seeing y'all and looking forward to you just beating me like a drum in golf. Though if we could put together some DeChambeau-Cantley playoff round matches, that would be a lot of fun uh, this weekend. And again, we have family in New Orleans. I'm thinking about y'all. Uh, I hope you're well or in, in the New Orleans area. I hope your family, if, if you have family in New Orleans, are doing well. Uh, please get vaccinated. Please wear a mask. It's the only way we're going to get out of this. And uh, this is Doug Robertson with another Southern Fried Soccer podcast. Y'all take care. In Atlanta, one voice has stood out for over four decades. An AJC original, The Monica Pearson Show. Let's talk about how you got to ESPN. Revealing interviews. You are known as America's doctor, but I want to know who you were before that. When you have a different name, you have different color skin, it can be tough. With Atlanta's most famous faces as you've never seen them before. I'm telling my story. This is the American dream. The Monica Pearson Show streaming now on AJC.com. The AJC's trusted veteran political voices, Greg Bluestein, Patricia Murphy, Tia Mitchell, and Bill Nygut are the essential source for Georgia politics. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution's Politically Georgia. Sign up for the newsletter, download the podcast, subscribe to the AJC.